Turn to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And we're going to take a little Bible study on this verse. Verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. It's um, Paul's way of saying uh, the container may be weak. You might be an old fruit jar, but you can hide a little bit of money in it and bury it. He said, I, I, I'm just a uh, clay pot container. So it's, it's a statement of humility. Uh, I'm not impressed uh, with myself. People that stay impressed with themselves obviously have never hung out with anyone greater. So when you hang out with God, you'll cease to be impressed with yourself. You'll, you'll be impressed with him. Even great uh, musicians, whatever, at least it, you can get a right perspective on yourself. So he's saying to them, and these are people that are saying you're contemptible, you don't know how to preach. They, they call him homely in chapter 10. So this is a very unkind. There's a, a minority here that are very uh, critical of this man, and he's defending himself in the letter. But he makes a statement, I'm nothing but a uh, ostrica, a common clay jar uh, that's used in a Palestinian home. So I'm not impressed with myself, but God has put what? He, he's put treasure in the jar, and he's using me to share probably this treasure in this context is the gospel I share with you, Corinthians, by which you were saved, so that the thing really being shown off is the surpassing power of God. How can God be using a man that comes across so weak, uh, so ordinary, so whatever, but he's saying, hey, the container isn't what's important. It's the content. It's the content of your life. And you look at people, and you start sizing them up by maybe ethnicity, size, uh, gender, all the, all the uh, criteria we weigh out people with. We all have that grid. You know, are they really something else? Or, oh, they're ordinary. They're not impressive. And Paul is just saying, let me beat you to it. I'm not impressive. I'm a clay pot. Very unimpressive. And so now I want to take you on a little journey to study clay pots, okay? Uh, now, some of you are crack pots, but these, <laughs> I'm studying clay pots, okay? Let's start with Jeremiah 18, famous passage, Jeremiah. 18. Get this description of God when he says in Jeremiah 18, this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. 
So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred. Sometimes you'd get a, a pebble, a stone. Maybe it wasn't conforming to the potter's hands. Something in, in the design of the potter had, something was not yielding right. And so it's being marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as it seemed best to him. And so then he says, Jeremiah, take this message to Israel. You're marred. You're not yielding to my hand. I'm not able to shape you the way I want. And so go, go tell the nation that. Then let's go to New Testament. Go to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9. Just to see this potter language in Scripture. That the design of our lives comes from a master potter. A master potter. Now, uh, what's going on in chapter 9, and I actually know believers that have told me they, they've ripped this out of their Bible. They don't understand chapter 9, so they just rip it out. And, and sincerely, uh, that, that, that they really did. He, he's going through saying that he had mercy on Jacob, uh, that Pharaoh never would yield to him, and uh, he's going to deliver Israel. And uh, then he says in 18, Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. He, he hardened Pharaoh's heart, repeatedly appealed to him. Pharaoh keeps saying, no, 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 and God begins to harden his heart. So now watch. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who is able to resist his will? But who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Have you ever done that? You ever told God he doesn't know what he's doing? Especially in your life? He says then, shall what is formed... Say to the one who formed it, why did you make me like this? That's quite a, quite a question, huh? I don't like my gender. I don't like my ethnicity. Uh, I don't like my parents. Rich Rollins used to say that. He'd tell his dad, Dad, I didn't choose you. And his dad said, you better be sure I didn't choose you. I'm just stuck with what God gave. There's a lot of things. You know, I wish I could have chose this. Chose, I chose a different mother, different father, different brother, sister, all this stuff. I chose to live in a different area. I would have grown up wealthy, rich, and all that. You know, we got all these ideas we would have done. And we argue with the potter. Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? Special, common. What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience 
the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction. What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. And he goes on to quote Hosea, I'll call a people that were not my people. And so he's saying, the potter has made some vessels for special use and other vessels refused to be used even as a Pharaoh, refused his hands in their life, did not want him, and he said he endured them. He, he was patient with them, and it was an enduring thing. And he said, finally, they fell in the category of objects of his divine wrath. Now, in a ordinary peasant's home in Palestine, they had what they called holder of the jars. They normally had three jars, and they were about four or five gallons. I think this should maybe be close to that. Maybe they were deeper. And uh, a vessel of mercy was a vessel that was basically dedicated to people traveling through, let's say, pilgrims going up to Jerusalem. And if they came by your place, if you offered them a drink, if you offered them fresh water to refresh them, it would be considered, you gave me a vessel of mercy. You, you quenched my thirst. You didn't have to. You went out of your way. So they would call those kinds of vessels vessels of mercy. A vessel of wrath was quite interesting. A vessel of wrath, uh, they used it in Bible times. Uh, I read a book called Strange Scriptures That Perplex the Western Mind, uh, Barbara Bowen, Urban's Press. And in that, she and her customs book said they had vessels of wrath that were this way. They would be carved, and they would do fine. They, they, they were molded okay. But in the kiln, when they were being heated, they would start cracking. And what they did, they took an insect called a fasuka, F-A-S-U-K-A. And they would take that fasuka insect, smash it to get its blood, and they would mix it with other ground-up pottery, make a cement out of it. And the potter would work with those cracked places trying to make it functional, trying to make it work. Of course, they'd have to wait for it to dry. If it would keep cracking, keep giving in, it would use, wind up in the potter's field. They would just have to discard it, and it became known as a vessel of wrath. It never passed the test, never got better, no matter what the potter did, and so it wound it up in the waste place. Now, uh, here he's saying there's vessels that God has shown mercy on and prepared them for good, and there's vessels that want nothing to do with the potter that are fitted for wrath. Now, uh, so every child of God, you would be considered a child of mercy, a pot of mercy. God rescued you. Now, 
look at another passage, 2 uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy, and then we'll walk through these. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In 2 Timothy, he's telling him, don't have anything to do with false teachers. Don't have anything to do with the wrong kind of living. Uh, and he's telling him to pay attention to himself. And uh, he says in verse 19, Nevertheless, God's foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes and some for common use. Really dishonorable. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter, false teachers, false living, get rid of wickedness, they will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared to do any good work. So, we have in Scripture at least four vessels. Vessel of mercy, vessel of wrath, vessel of honor, vessel of dishonor. Let's just begin. The design of our lives, God found us full of trash. When he found us, we were full of everything that uh, we were carrying the garbage of this world. Our language was filthy. Our morals was uh, not in keeping with God. Our thinking was warped. I mean, we were a mess. We were carrying nothing but garbage from the divine viewpoint. Containers that uh, what had been poured into us by our neighborhood, our peers, maybe our parents, uh, you were full of corruption, full of sin, and what needed to happen? God says, when I regenerate a person, I wash them. I cleanse them. I, I had to get all the junk out before I could put anything good in. Then, what happens? We come over here, and when you become a child of God, he says, God took you and decided to put treasures in you. Treasures. And let me just name some. Let, let's start with uh, eternal life. Not too bad. You're going to hell. You didn't know God. And he that receives Christ, he that has the Son, has eternal life. Then he gave you the Holy Spirit. Not too bad. All the power you ever need to live the Christian life. It's impossible to live the Christian life. That's why God gave you the Spirit. If you say, I can't, uh, he can. So quit trying to do it on your own. He gave you the power. He gave you the power if you would use it and not quench it. So uh, let's see a few other things he gave. Uh, what about, uh, this isn't bad. How about the fruit of the Spirit? Anybody use any love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, self-control, faith? 
Well, I got anger problems. Well, you got the Holy Spirit, don't you? He has self-control. Is he bigger than your temper? And if you keep acting angry, we'll just know you're not saved. You're just a liar. You say you so know him, but you don't. So quit lying to yourself. He put a spiritual gift in you. Just these are he gave you uh, all spiritual blessings according to Ephesians. But these are just an example. Now he's putting you treasure. He he gave you a spiritual gift of some sort, which is a bent, a bent in you to want to refresh other people some way. However, he's gifted you, maybe with the mouth, maybe with good deeds, maybe in service. Somehow, some way, he's going to use you to refresh others because you were designed to refresh. Now, that's what treasures are in you. Is that what's coming out of you? Now, there's an astounding verse in Luke chapter 6. What God puts in, and now I want you to look at what you put in. Turn over to Luke. We've been talking about vessels. Now let's just talk about treasures. Now Jesus said, where your treasures are, that's where your heart is. And he's talking about investing in his kingdom. But listen to, uh, uh, let me just check. While you go to Luke 6, I'll check Matthew 12 and see which says it. Mm. Let's, go, let's go, it's a little bit fuller. Let's go to uh, Matthew 12, 12.33. You there? Okay. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. That's interesting, isn't it? How you can make a tree good. I haven't had any apricots for three years. I'm about ready to cut it down. I don't know how to make it good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. And he's talking about not trees, but people. You're recognized by your behavior or by what you produce. You know, action, activity. Now watch. You brood of vipers. I've never called you this. This is Jesus, the meek and lowly. How can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things, and uh, some translations have treasure. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. Let's just say, a good man treasures good things, and he tucks them away in his heart. Good things, good things. Good things. Now, watch this. And an evil man brings evil things 
out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty, and that's lazy, not thought out word they've spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So your mouth reveals your heart, right? We'll know what, you're, what you've stored in your heart because it will get in your mouth eventually. Now, what's interesting here, he talks about a good man and an evil man, and they are known by what they choose to treasure. By what they choose to put in their heart. And when the time comes, they'll use the bucket of the mouth to go up down into the well of the heart, and they're going to bring up some, let's say, water, and it will either be bitter or it will be sweet. It will either be dirty or it will be refreshing. And every one of us, God puts good things in us. Then he holds us accountable for what we put in the rest of us. I ask you, what kind of deposits do you make in your life? Do you hide God's word in your heart? Do you hide God's word? Our Bible study leader said, don't go to church Sunday unless you got a verse for everybody. I've got one. Psalms 28, 8, and 9. The Lord is the strength of his people, a fortress to hide them. Save your people, O Lord, and be their shepherd and carry them forever. Verse 9. You just got your verse. And I gave a verse to my wife this morning. She said, are you just doing this because you're keeping the assignment? I said, yes, I'm keeping the assignment. You had to have a verse that encouraged the wife. I don't know what it was, but she wasn't real impressed. I see people, I even see believers that uh, they can tell you every offense they've ever gone through in the church. They're always talking about poor me, martyr me, poor me. You think they've been persecuted. And says somebody didn't say the right word, didn't shake their hand. Uh, there's a misunderstanding. How do you get through this life without misunderstandings? Marriage, children, home business, church. But you talk to some people, uh, it's amazing. We, we had a, a, a woman when I was, uh, when we were in the dance hall in, in Pinal, that uh, on Sundays would tell me off at the door every Sunday. That was her ministry to me. Tell off the pastor. And uh, uh, she was a woman that... Uh, her face was, uh, had a road map of uh, bitterness and uh, just deep angst in her. And boy, she was so rambunctious. And David knew her husband. And I asked, I said, what is it with this woman? What is it with this woman? I mean, she, she's angry. Uh, she uh, always bites into me on Sunday. I, I don't know what it is, What's, what goes on. And finally, the story came out that I think three or four years before the boy went hiking in Yosemite and never came back. 
uh, fell somewhere. Uh, the winter snows covered him. And uh, she, I think it was her only son. She lost her boy, had never got over it. She's mad at God. She was mad at people. She, she, don't, don't tell me about God. And yet she came to church every Sunday. But, but she was full of bitterness. Full of bitterness. I pastored some young ladies who had been abused by their father from probably junior high to high school years. Never did the mother intervene. And the father just used them. They both became Christians. You couldn't meet two finer girls. Wonderful spirit about them. A sweetness in them. And one day they came to me and they said, we went to our father this week and told him we're forgiving. We went to our father and said we're praying for him, that we love him. And we want to forgive all that he's done to us. We went to our mother. Is that possible? Is that possible? Had a woman when we were at the Rio Theater, came down the middle aisle on a Sunday morning. She was in uh, great straits. She was emotional. She was certainly crying. She was, uh, she was just. Uh, a bundle of tears and, and brokenness. And so I went down to her to want to comfort her. And when I got to her, she said, I, I can't forgive him. I can't forgive him. And, and kept on going. I said, what is it? I figured it's her marriage. I said, uh, you must, you must. She said, it's too late. He's been dead 10 years. And it was her father. And from the grave, it seemed, he was choking her to death. From the grave, she, she couldn't get over his treatment of her. And so I had these young ladies that by the grace of God forgave and granted forgiveness and went on and joy came back and peace and uh, they just, uh, they were fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus got rid of the trash, removed the sin, took away the memory in a good sense. It, you don't, some things you never forget, but when you say you forget it, God says forget it, you don't bring it up anymore. It's not on the agenda. That's past. That's not a present talking subject. It's in my past. I don't want to talk about all the bad stuff. I'm going to talk about the treasures I've been given. I, I want to tell you what God's given me. So you get with some people and you get this sweet, refreshing drink out of that fountain that's carrying treasure. Just clay pots, just ordinary people. You may not be impressed. Look at this uh, Timothy passage, which is quite an um, exhortation to us. Scares me as a preacher because he's talking to a preacher. And he's telling him... Uh, if you want God to use you, you've got to be clean. It's, I, I hold you accountable to clean up yourself. 
Look at that. Uh, in the household of God, in verse 19, let everyone that names the name of the Lord depart from wickedness. So if you claim to be a brother or sister, we can expect that you've turned from all your sins, right? Thank you, Tim. Right? I'm back. Talk back. Right? Yeah, you, you've broken. If you haven't broken, I wouldn't be... Pro- I wouldn't be, be giving my testimony at churches. I sure love Jesus and then cuss a little bit. No, no. Has he cleaned you up at all? <laughs> I didn't know he cleaned you up. Well, maybe you're still in the grip of wickedness. You're not his child. You're not clean. Listen, in a large house, there's vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Now, let me tell you about a vessel of dishonor. A vessel of dishonor was about four or five-gallon jar they kept in the house. If you came by my place, custom was I washed your feet. or I had a, Usually, I had a household servant that would do that. They'd wash your feet. And in a land where water was scarce, they would pour the excess water in the vessel of dishonor. Pour it there. I looked up in a lexicon uh, on the use of dishonor. Sometimes they were used as chamber pots, quite frankly, because they didn't have indoor plumbing. So it got the waste of the household. And that was there. And here... God is telling Timothy, if you don't want to get clean, you're going to carry the waste of this world, and you will not be used for honorable use. You're still in the household. You see, I, I know of ministries. I know of pastors. I know of preachers. Oh, they're still saved, but they're no longer used of God because they didn't want to get clean. I know people like you probably. You don't want to get clean. You don't want to quit looking at porno. Well, look at all of it you want. God's going to see to it you're not used. Because he knows what you do in secret. Did you hear me? This God is not blind. He knows what you do in secret. What you do, he said, in the closet will be shouted from the housetop. Makes you scared to death to take a shower. In other words, there are no secrets. The way you treat women, God will expose you. The way you treat anyone, racially, gender, God is not deceived. God will expose us. I'm telling you, healer. He says, come to me and let me cleanse you, and I won't have to expose you, but don't hide sin from me. Come to me. And he said, Timothy, if you will cleanse yourself from these false teachers and this false gossip and these endless arguments and this junk going on in the church, the gossip mill, the rumor mill, the the negative mill, the critical, the murmuring, you must cleanse yourself from this. Then you'll be a vessel of honor. Otherwise, you're only good for the wastewater. 
He said, but if you cleanse yourself, he said, I'll put, make you a vessel of honor, which was either wine or water to refresh your guests. Interesting, the, the vessel of honor was made to refresh others. The vessel of dishonor was good to no one. It had no beneficial use. The most is if it was the foot washing water, maybe water plants, but it could help no human being. In the household of faith, how is God using you? Are you fit for God to use? Are you fit for God to use? Uh, you're not if you're dabbling in sin. Oh, you're saved. You'll be saved. Doesn't mean he's going to use you. I've seen guys, oh, good night. They know so much Bible, they're dangerous. But God just never seems to use them very much. He's got a secret anger problem, this sin, that sin. You know what? I have to say, most of my youth, I was saved 14. I felt the call of God when I was 15. And so I said, yes, Lord, I'm willing to do whatever you want. But it seemed like all up to my 20s, maybe 22, everything in my life was about getting clean. It was constantly, I surrender all. Uh, I, I offer myself to you. I take my body and use it. Uh, flee immorality. Uh, uh, quit your bad language. Pick different friends. Don't run with these people. Don't. Pretty soon, all I had to run with was my brother and sister. And he's 10 years older, and she's 14 years older. I had no peers. I had no one my age I could run with but my cousin. Why? God says, are you willing to be clean? Do you want to be clean? You said, yes, I'm willing to preach but I'm not going to use you to preach until I get you clean. You're pretty good at cussing people out. I want to change your vocabulary. I want you to learn not to cuss a guy, but to edify people. So I've got to change your vocabulary. I know I'm messing with you because you can barely breathe out there. I'm, I'm talking to you. And some of you are still carrying trash. That's why God's not using you. You don't want to get clean. You want to harbor that secret sin. You want to stay bitter. You love being bitter. We got people in this church. I, I know them. I, I don't want to look at it. Uh, if you're around them, if, at least if I'm around them, uh, it's negative. They don't quote a verse. They don't say, God is so good. So, well, you haven't been a member here long, have you? You haven't been here long enough to see all of our faults. Why don't you talk about what God's put in you? Quit talking about Valley and me. Why don't you talk about the treasure? Do you have any treasure? If you're not, we offer you the treasure, the pearl of great price. Christ wants to save you. He wants to turn over a barrel of honey in your soul. Get over the murmuring. Get over the bitterness. Get over the sin. He wants you to be a vessel that bears treasure. Uh, we're treasure carriers. Is that not magnificent and beautiful? God has put his treasure in clay pots. That's you. That's me. Now, what's coming out? Keep the vessel clean 
so the water doesn't get contaminated. Keep the vessel clean. We used to say when I was a boy, the Holy Spirit will not indwell an unclean vessel. Well, he does. They were sleeping with prostitutes in 1 Corinthians 6, and he said you should quit it because the Spirit lives in you. If I was God, I'd say the Spirit moves out. He said, no, you're making Christ a member of a harlot. Ooh, that's astounding. You mean when I'm immoral with a woman, I make Christ join with that woman? That's what 1 Corinthians 6 says. You mean the Holy Spirit's still there? He's still there. But you've taken his body, his temple, and you've defiled it, defiled it, defiled it. And the church is so full of fornication, pornography, and immoral thinking, it's a wonder we even have worship services because we're so dirty. Everybody's wanting revival, and nobody's wanting to get clean. Are you clean? See, I'm sounding like a holiness preacher, huh? That's what it is. Yeah. I ain't talking about grace today. I'm talking about holiness. So many dirty saints, dirty attitudes, dirty mouth, dirty. Hey, honey, 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 please don't put a sign on your bumper that says, I love Jesus. Please don't. And please don't say you attend Valley. There's some of us, you, we wish you'd find another church. We can't stand your advertisement. If you're not full of the love of God and the Spirit of God, you're sending out bad negative news, bad neg- Jesus is not bitter. Jesus is sweet. Jesus is not unforgiving. He's forgiving. This is the vessel we're meant to be. I carry the treasure of God. And that's what Paul says. Oh, you Corinthians can call me whatever you want. You can bash me. You can persecute me. And, oh, they were a mean bunch. May I never pastor a Corinthian church. They'd run me out of town so quick I couldn't stand it. You've been good to me compared to Corinth. The apostle that led them to the Lord was persecuted by them and called a contemptible man. He said, call me what you want. I bear God's treasure. I say this to you. I don't care what people call you, name you, or treat you. Just bring fresh water to a thirsty world. Our world needs the treasure. And he made you to carry it. He put Christ in you, the hope of glory. The hope of glory. 